0: Every one of you who confesses Jesus as Lord of the universe signs up for a significance beyond anything you ever dreamed. And I mean business men and women here, homemakers, students. To belong to
1: Jesus is to embrace the nations. Your heart was made for this.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Made for Missions podcast. A ministry of 1-8 Catalyst, where we are pursuing the completion of the Great Commission worldwide. To learn more about our work or to listen to previous episodes, please visit our website at 1-8, spelled out in word form, catalyst.org. That's 1-8-catalyst.org. Thanks for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this, the latest episode of the Made for Missions podcast. I am your host, Mike Falkenstein, and I have a special guest with me, Mr. Dudley Callison. You direct a ministry called Communitas
1: International. That's correct. And you guys actually just went through a name change. Is that right? We did. For 48 years have been Christian Associates International and changed the name to Communitas just in this last year. Communitas is a an image of faith, community, on mission, together. So that works in Europe, North America, Latin America. The name just translates a lot better.
0: Okay, that's great. That's great. And so I think when you were on the podcast last time, you guys were still Christian Associates. Associates. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's great. And so uh, we're both based here in Denver. and. Fun to be able to see you from time to time. And you just participated in one of our ministry leader
1: lunches, and that was really fun to have you here. Great to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Good interaction, good dialogue about missions and about what the Lord's doing around the world and how we can be a part of the Great Commission.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So why don't you just start us off, Dudley, and just tell us a little bit about Communitas and what you guys do. And uh, it's an exciting Ministry,
1: yeah, it, it really is. That's uh, if it wasn't exciting, I, I wouldn't be a part of it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, collection of um, missional pioneers. So these are people who are looking for how to express the gospel and form new expressions of church in parts of the world where either the church has come and gone, or maybe never even really existed in mature form. So we have uh, over 200 staff in 22 countries. Wow! And 105 churches, church plants, or church planting initiatives, projects that we hope and dream will mature into a spiritual family or faith community over time. Okay. And most of those, uh, the history has been in Western Europe, but now has spanned the ocean, and we've got uh, churches and church plants in North America and in Latin America as well. Oh, wow. So it's really quite uh, fun to see. Yeah, even in Latin America, where Catholicism really still is the religion of the day, but the Protestant denominations have taken root and and taken off for 100 years. They've been around. And now this next generation of, of Latin Americans are saying, thank you to their parents and their grandparents. What you've given us as church has been good, but we would like to do church differently. Will you bless us? And these 20 and 30 year old Latin Americans are reimagining what church is going to look like well before the established church is even in steep decline, like we see it here in the States. Oh, right. Wow, that's great. That's some fun things to be a part of. That's great. And did I hear you say something about North America? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's great. In the States, our reality is that the established church is at a A truly pivot point in its history from 150 years of denominational growth and and heavy church growth focus and traditional church models. We have a a surfacing generation that's saying, no, thank you. Maybe you've heard Mm -hmm. about this group of young adults in the States that are basically describing themselves as the nuns. And that's not N-U-N like, you know, the nuns in a convent. That's N-O-N-E. This oh. is the people that say, I have no religious affiliation at all. And these are people that have grown up in the church, millennials, oh. next generation leaders that have said, I just no longer identify myself with an organized religious group. Okay. Therefore, I'm in this none category. They will say they're spiritual, and they okay. will even talk about Jesus. Many of them do even say, I would follow Jesus. But in terms of identifying with a religious institution called the church, they say, Nope. Not wow. It. Wow, That's great. That's the group that we're saying, okay, what does church look like for you? How are you going to form spiritual family? And what does meaningful community mean for you? So communitas, when we talk about what constitutes a church or a f- spiritual family, it's really fairly rendered down to a few essential things. They're people who, by faith, walk toward Jesus together. So this is communing with God with one another. And then, second is this authentic spiritual community. We know one another, and we walk together in this life. And the third is the idea of mission in the world. We embrace that the sending God sends us. Mm. And so when we talk about a church, it really has three essential elements, communion with God, community with each other, and mission in the world. Where Mm. those three things exist, we will call that the birth of a church. And then it grows up into a mature expression. That expression of church might be liturgical. That expression of church might be kind of a new monastic community, like oh. we've seen form in Santa Barbara, California, this Uffizi missional community oh. that's formed around a rule of life to end homelessness in Santa Barbara County. Wow. It could be a, a simple church in a neighborhood. It could be a, a microchurch network. So the version of church that it becomes is less important to us. But those three essential elements we look for in anything that we call a new church.
0: Okay. Wow. That's awesome. So, actually, as I hear you talk, and I know we want to get on to the topic at hand. So, for years, of course, I've been, you know, I've often think as I sit in church, right, and which is a very traditional kind of church, how much of this is actually biblical? Great question. How much of it is not? (laughs) And, you know, I think if you really boil it down, A, that's a good question to ask, as you said. And B, I often kind of wonder myself, what are the essentials? And it sounds like that's kind of what you guys are doing in yep, terms of...
1: Absolutely. When you actually say, and this generation coming up has asked this question, is this size of a facility at this price tag with this number of paid professional clergy, is that biblical or is that what we have inherited over time? Right. Is that the essence of church or just the form of church that we've known? And they're getting down to a much more basic question of what could church be if church was going to be different than what we've known. And it really is easier to do in post-Christian cultures, the cultures where the church has been so much in decline that now when people see a church building, they really don't have a negative response to it. They just think of it as a religious building or a museum. They don't really have a negative reaction, necessarily, oh, right. and that's the post-Christendom that America has been moving toward for generations now, oh, right. which is in full form in Europe. I mean, Europe is so post-Christian that in many places they now describe it as pre-Christian. Again, so people are so ignorant of the history of the church that now when we introduce the idea of being church, it's completely
0: new to them. Wow. Which, yeah, uh, you were telling me that the other day, and I think for a lot of us Christians, we think of Europe as kind of the, the genesis of a lot of the things that we know about, right? I mean, the Gutenberg Bible and Martin That's Luther, right. and you had mentioned kind of the birth of Protestantism in Scotland, and of course, you know, with my history in China, you know, uh, Hudson Taylor and his great movements and absolutely Spurgeon, I mean, on and on and on, right? And so, to hear you talk about Europe as sort of a post-Christian society, I think for a lot of people would be surprising.
1: It's surprising to a lot of North Americans who really have assumed that because the cathedrals are there and because of the history of the church in Europe and uh, what they've known or read in in the history books about Europe, that Christianity is just, you know, maybe it's suffering uh, from the flu, but it's still there, right? Right. But the hard reality is... That for much of Europe, Christianity is dead and gone. Some folks are projecting that with immigration and with the influx of, of other religious faith systems, that Europe as a whole will be predominantly Muslim within the next number of decades, 50, 60, 70 years, depending on wow. who you talk to. And that's not by conversion. That's by immigration. And population by birth rate, that it will oh, become right. more and more uh, Muslim-oriented Muslim oriented okay. as a majority. And the reason why that could even be possible is because there's so few people actually professing faith in Christ. In, right in, in Europe. Europe, okay, and so with that, you
0: know we talk about this kind of this post Christian Europe, and I know you wanted to talk about some of the things that you guys are doing and learning in Scotland in particular right, right, right? and that's kind of this post christian Europe example and it right? really is, yeah, yeah. so it, give us some idea of kind of what's happening there.
1: And I will say this, that Scotland is good to look at as representative, but I would say that it's in no way uh, unique within the Europe landscape. So when we talk about Scotland, just imagine this dynamic happening in Sweden or Germany or France or Hungary, anywhere across Europe. So last year, Scotland hit the radar again on the religious news wires for a particular statistic. And oh, okay. it is the um, the number of professing evangelical Christians in a population. Okay. So you know when that group falls below two percent, less than two percent evangelical Christian, is what most of us in Great Commission Ministry mm-hmm. consider to be an unreached people group. That's right. Last year, Scotland, the birthplace of Presbyterianism, fell below that threshold of two percent. Wow. Yeah. So, in fact, the guy, that his name is Andy Hunter, is the Scotland director for the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. Andy would say that conservative evangelicalism is as low as 1%. Now, exactly how he defines evangelical from conservative oh, right. evangelical, I'm not real sure. <laughs> right. But he's even estimating that half of that 2% is really where the conservative evangelical Christian population clocks in at. And that's alarming. So how do you compare that then to Islam? Well, in Scotland, 44% of the people say that they're Christian. If you ask them the question, what's your religious affiliation? They would say Christian. But when you get down to, but what do you really believe? That's where you look for evangelical, gospel-oriented, missional thinking, commitment to the scriptures. And that's where we're talking about 1% to 2%. Well, Islam now is at one point four percent in Scotland, in Scotland. Okay. and projected to double within the next ten years. So, if Christianity keeps going from two to one percent or below, and Islam goes from one point four to three in the next ten oh. years, then oh, right, you can see the trend. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So, one of the questions we have to really wrestle with is why? What's led to this? Mm-hmm. such demise mm-hmm. of followers of Jesus in a country like Scotland. And I think that's where I really look to our staff that lives there and people that, that move around in those circles really consistently to understand okay. what do they say is the reason that it's declined so significantly over these decades. So you guys have staff who
0: are in Scotland doing these church planting that's right. work. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick follow-up question just yeah. real quick, because you know, of course, with what we do, here at 1A Catalyst, we're talking a lot about unreached people groups, right? And then we distinguish between unreached and unengaged. And so I assume, and you tell me if I'm wrong, the Scottish people, are they a, like if you look at Joshua Project and whatnot, are they mm-hmm. a people group group? Like an individual people group? Well, I think the Scots would say that. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know how we <laughs> categorize people That's groups right. and yeah, no whatnot. Doubt. So now,
1: you know, politically, they're part of the United Kingdom. Okay. But in many ways, since Brexit, have identified very independently of that. Yes. They see themselves as part of the larger I've heard that, Europe yeah. landscape. But when you get down to it, the Scottish people are a identified culture. Okay. Uh, identified so they have value a, set. Yeah, they yeah. have a very okay. distinct... Uh,
0: but it sounds like there is still, because you know we always define an unreached people group as one where there aren't enough of those people to reach the rest of its people. That's right. Are there still Scots that can it sounds like if there's these some of these organizations you mentioned this guy yeah, Andy uh, Hunter. Mr. Hunter, mm-hmm. yeah, so there are still Scots trying to reach yeah, oh, absolutely the rest. no doubt, right.
1: yeah, let me describe for you a little bit of why things have declined like they have. Okay, but then the real question is, what's the hope? Where does this go from Okay, great. That sounds good. A few things that they would say have led to the uh, decline of the evangelical church in Scotland. One would be immigration. Scotland has been an amazing example of a people group willing to absorb immigrants and refugees. Uh, Okay. Maybe even more so than many countries of Europe, Scotland has said, come find a home here. Okay. Now, the difference between Scotland and England is that many of the immigrants coming into England have come from Christian cultures. Oh, so okay. they're bringing some value of Christian faith with them as refugees into the UK population or England or mm-hmm. Wales or other places, but in Scotland, a larger proportion of the immigrants coming in and the refugees have come from a Muslim context. So that would be part of the influence of the rise of Islam and the decline of the church. The second thing that is cited is this sectarianism. So Evangelical Now magazine published this article about Scotland specifically, and they quote this. They say, Scotland has too many Protestants, too many Catholics, and not enough Christians, end quote. Oh. <laughs> which I think is really fascinating. So what it shows is that, is that there's this tension created by warring factions of the church that have been viewed as basically a social menace, something to be avoided by the general population. Why get involved in a dogfight? Oh, right. Uh-huh. When you look at, at Catholics and Protestants warring over religious oh, values over stay the stay out of it, right? Stay away from that. <laughs> and the third, then, would be a very specifically around Presbyterianism, which there's been a fragmentation of the Presbytery over these last decades okay. uh, new denominational offshoots and splinter groups and discussions about theology and topics and practice have led to multiple versions of the presbytery vying against each other even in small towns so when you think about oh, that so right. here's this you've got this influx of non-christian immigrants you've got this historic catholic protestant battleground and even among christians like presbyterians you've got a fragmentation Then all of a sudden you have a population looking at the landscape of the church saying, why? What value does that add to my day today? Right. In my life, right? (laughs) So I think most of us would step back and ask, do I want to be a part of that? Right. And totally miss the question of who's Jesus? Oh, right. There's all these other things. So many other things that Mm -hmm. people are focused on rather than the main thing, which is who is Jesus and how does he compel us to live?
0: Wow. That's really something. Yeah. Yeah. So, Scotland is just sort of a, as you'd mentioned, one example of what's happening in larger Europe. We have just a few minutes, so I'm interested to know, maybe we talk just a little bit about, you and I were talking recently about sort of, you know, this post-Christian Europe, and now there are generations, multiple generations of Europeans that just, I don't know. And it's not even like they think about, their grandparents were not religious people, nor were their parents. And so, you go through multiple generations like that and it's not necessarily that they're against God or Jesus maybe. Right. This didn't even come up.
1: No, right? you're exactly right. I mean, we're yeah. talking about when you have two generations that are not involved in the church. Is that third generation gonna know anything about it other than what they maybe hear in a history lesson at school? And even then, is that going to be a positive message about it, a negative message, or basically just a historical message? So that really opens the door then to ask the question, how do we introduce being followers of Jesus, making disciples and following in his ways uh, in this next generation? And will it be seen as novel enough? And will our articulation of the gospel be relevant enough for the next generation of Europeans to say, I want to know more about that?
0: That's right. Which, actually, I know in our next episode, we'd love to have you for a second episode on this topic, because it's such a big topic. Great. And I know we're going to talk about kind of the value of kind of cross-cultural missionaries and kind of doing ministry in this now mm-hmm. post-Christian Europe. As you were talking, the thing I think about is it uh, actually may be easier for, to do ministry maybe in this context versus... You know, I always tell people, so I grew up here in Denver, but then for seven years, we lived in Alabama. Right. Now, in Alabama, evangelism was a much different thing than it is here. Because in Alabama, everyone's a Christian, right? right? (laughs) Or or at least they say so. Yes. Right? So then you have to get down to the nitty gritty of, okay, what does Jesus really mean to you? And there's a lot of other stuff, maybe uh, preconceived notions that kind of get in the way. So you're certainly not having that in... Your work in Europe.
1: No, you're right. I think that's where when we talk about the difference between doing mission here in North America, which is kind of hurtling at light speed toward that post Christian reality versus Europe that's been so steeped in post Christian reality that now they've become pre Christian again. That would be the difference between doing evangelism here around people that have never really heard about Jesus versus people that have heard about it, been around it a lot, a lot of exposure, actually inoculation against the gospel. You know, if you get just enough of it, but what you get is not positive, uh-huh. doesn't taste good, doesn't <laughs> feel good, then you're kind of inoculated against it. And that takes on whole different textures of mission when you have that kind of a population. I think in the next podcast, if we'd pick up with Scotland as an example of how to engage
0: oh, in right. mission,
1: in, you know, oh, right. in the Great Commission, I think it's an example of where Europe has gone as not Christian. And it's also a great example of some things going on with the Great Commission and workers there that are really compelling the next generation to follow Jesus. That's
0: really great. Yeah, we'd love to do that. That'd be really good. So, Dudley, thanks for being here. Sure. Appreciate it. I have one quick question for you yeah. before we go, just because it's been in my mind and I'm, I'm thinking about, so North America, right? Which mm-hmm. With what you're doing, I'm curious to know. So you'd mentioned that kind of North America, um, United States in particular is kind of going towards a kind of a post-Christian future. Do you think that would be a, a nationwide thing? I mean, I, I keep thinking in some of these places in the Bible Belt, it's a pretty right. ingrained...
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So if you would think of the landmass of North America as similar to the landmass of Europe, and it would be wrong to just broad stroke talk about Europe Mm -hmm. as if the Polish people are exactly like the Spanish people Uh or the Portuguese people are exactly like Swedes. That would just be absolutely inappropriate and wrong to lump them all in that same kind of a cultural category. A recent book that came out, I believe it was last year, called The American Nations, really looks at North America as distinct cultural populations. So you got mm-hmm. this Northwest population that may be the closest thing that we have to pre-Christian. You know, they've been That's exposed right. to the gospel, but they're significantly under which is why a lot of church planting initiatives have really focused on the Pacific Northwest. Oh, right. Throughout Seattle and Oregon and Idaho, there's been a tremendous amount of focus on church planting in that kind of a region. Mm-hmm. But when you compare that to New England, for example, New England is post-Christendom. You go into all the towns of Massachusetts and Pennsylvania and Rhode Island, anywhere up there, right. and you're going to see the evidence of the historic church. It's That's built, right. Buildings are empty. Maybe nobody goes there anymore, but the church has been there since the colonies were founded. And then you've got the South, where it's still kind of this guardians of the institution where <laughs> really live, you know? That's right. And I think Christianity in its existing form will last longest in the Christian South, whereas here in the Denver area, we kind of see a cross population. I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Are you talking about Colorado Springs, where there's a tremendous presence of followers of Christ? Are we talking about Boulder, which is kind of historically known as kind of the epicenter of liberal thinking and and atheistic movement? Mm -hmm. And having said that, there are plenty of people who follow Jesus in Boulder, but that's really not the way that you see that culture. So, we talk about doing church planting and mission in North America. We even really talk about people going cross-culturally within the states. No, that's right. We had a family move from Oklahoma to Portland, Oregon. We should have brought them through a better process of cross-cultural ministry training. Oh, right. We were actually kind of caught off guard by how disoriented they were when they got to Portland.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: We should have been thinking about it better Oh,
0: right. Yeah, when we moved from Denver to Alabama, it was kind of the opposite. It's sort of like, yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's different. For sure. It does. I think one of those questions, Mike, that we have to ask is, is there a Christian assumption? The Christian assumption is the person that you meet on the street just randomly, are you assuming that they have a Christian orientation or frame of reference? Are you assuming that they don't have that? When you're walking around the streets of Portland – Oregon, anyone you meet, you're assuming they don't follow Jesus. right? Whereas I would assume that in some city in Alabama, maybe, Uh when you meet somebody, if you ask the question, where do you go to church, that wouldn't be seen as weird or inappropriate. That's right. And it's
0: been a while now since we've lived there, but at least at that time, most people either attended a church regularly or at least had a church that they would call kind of their church. Mm-hmm. Now their their regular attendance may be in question, you know, but they associated with a church of some kind, yeah. right? And it was kind of culturally expected that that's kind of what you did on Sunday mornings, and yeah whatnot. So it is much different. Well, great. Well, thanks for coming and staying now for a second episode. I would like to talk, as you mentioned about, yeah, the kind of the value of cross-cultural missionaries throughout Europe. And I think you want to talk about Scotland in particular. Of course, a little bit of what I've already heard about this kind of piques my interest. You know, mm-hmm. we started off in international student ministry. So these people coming from other places to here, and it's the same kind of thing with immigrants it in some really ways. Is.
1: They've, and they've... kind of
0: the opportunities to go, hey, we'd love to help you learn to drive and find a job. And there's just a lot of that platform that you can build and, you know, and then being able to tell them about Jesus is is powerful. So great. Well, thanks Dudley for being here and uh, thank you all for joining us. And yeah, we'll look forward to having you on the next episode here with Dudley on the Made for Missions podcast.